Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another Lights, Camera, Sports podcast presented by Chestnut Hill Technologies. I'm your host, Mike Galtieri. So happy to have you back with February rolling on. I thought it'd be great to invite a basketball legend and Hall of Famer. You know him locally around here in New England and Connecticut. That's right. Jim Calhoun joins us on the podcast today. Uh, he's having a very successful year as the head coach at University of St. Joseph's in West Hartford at the Division Three level. And we had a great conversation. Talk about his life, his career, his thoughts on life at his age, and where he wants to do now with St. Joe's going forward. So it was a very, very fun conversation. I hope you listen to it. Like to remind everybody, first we'll hear from Chestnut Hill Technologies and then go right into the podcast with Jim Calhoun. As always, thank you so much for listening. Chestnut Hill Technologies is a leading technology integration and cybersecurity consulting firm based in the Boston area and owned by BC alum. CHT provides world-class strategy and consulting to Fortune 500 and mid-cap firms throughout New England and nationally, including State Street Bank, Amaj Pharma, and Intel Corporation. Check them out at chestnuthilltechnologies.com. That's chestnuthilltechnologies.com. Hello, everybody. Welcome back once again to the Lights, Camera, Sports podcast presented by Chestnut Hill Technologies. I'm your host, Mike Galtieri. So happy to have you on board. Uh, lucky enough to be joined by a New England and a Connecticut sports legend. You know him, Jim Calhoun, joins us here on the podcast. First of all, Jim, so happy to have you on board, and thank you for the time. Well, you know, it's uh, nice to talk about basketball. And uh, when I stopped coaching uh, eight years ago, uh, eight years ago now, you know, I, I thought I'd talk about it on ESPN. I did that for five years. But uh, then the edge got into me, and we're back talking about basketball. <laughs> I always talked about it, but uh, having a little more uh, intimate interest in Division Three and uh, still UConn and other places, but uh, no question a little change uh, than I probably, my wife didn't see for sure, but regardless. <laughs> well, Coach, I know you're from Massachusetts, Braintree, Massachusetts. I went to Boston College. I worked for Al Skinner for four years as a student manager. And I just want to get your thoughts, life growing up in Braintree. And I know, first of all, did you play other sports other than basketball? And uh, was basketball always your first love growing up in Braintree? Well, I mean, I like, my dad was a great baseball player. He died at 50, when yeah. I was 15, and a large family, et cetera. There were seven of us. And uh, he was a terrific baseball player. And so baseball was my first sport, and I ended up being a pretty good pitcher. And in my junior year in high school, um, Kansas City and uh, looked at me, if you will, they really? did, not only did I throw hard, I could throw at you, too. <laughs> Sometimes <laughs> by accident. But, uh, but uh, no, and, and football was my love for a while because I love the contact but basketball ended up being and quite frankly uh, ended up being a little more important to me because after my dad's death you know I'd have football practice or baseball and I'd go to a place called French's Common which was a court right near the uh, town hall and, and Fred Hergert our coach was a very famous coach and had great great records there I uh, had lights on until 10 o'clock at night Okay, and so Getting through some of that stuff in those early years, particularly still in high school during my sophomore, junior, and senior year, I'd sneak up there at nights and play basketball. Really? Because the solitude of playing ball, and you know, I got to be good friends with John Havlicek when I tried out for the Celtics. And wow. uh, uh, you know, I'd say Havlicek has the ball and did the Johnny Most impressions <laughs> and all that kind of stuff. But I, I, I think ba- basketball can be a, a lonely man's friend in some way, going through difficult times because yeah. you can play games in your head, you can shoot the ball. Guys would show up, and we'd have competition. Dick Whitmore became a terrific player up at Bowden. 
and a legendary coach at Kobe College, and a lot of us used to get together up there. Bottom line is that, yeah, the, the game eventually gets me. I love football. If I had a little more speed, because I didn't mind hitting folks, I could catch it and run a little bit. But uh, like a lot of guys in that era, free sport athletes were unusual. And you referenced, too, I, you know, growing up, you were at a Little League field. You found out about your father, age 15, passing away. You referenced him to me just a couple of minutes ago. Just talk about what it meant to your family is growing up in a big family, what your new role was growing up without your father and how it affected your well, early childhood. Yeah, like uh, not the singing group, but I went boys to men pretty quick mm-hmm. and I became a man. I had no yeah. question about it. You know, taught my families, and as you probably know, big Italian, Catholic, big ethnic communities particularly, uh, any kind of community, uh, the oldest sons considered to take over. And here I was 15, and the, the you know, famous thing that, was the, that my sisters still talk about I looked at my mother that night and said, Mom, I'll take care of you. Wow. No idea what that means. Uh, I did a couple of years after that, but regardless, you know, so I continued through and then uh, got a full scholarship to UMass with uh, a guy named, uh, assistant coach was Jack Lehman. Yes, He became a famous UMass. coach at UMass. And I lasted there about five weeks. My mother had a heart problem. I came home and worked for two years and stuff. Kind of. I heard, I've heard about that job. So I heard you're a stone cutter, shampoo worker. Yep. Uh, tell me if I missed anything. Uh, graveyard, working in a cemetery? Uh, well, it, it, part of the stone yard, so stone cutting, I'd help cut them and then go put them on the markers, the 100-pound markers. I went from 180 pounds to about 200 pounds. Uh, really? I looked a little different just because I was lifting stone all day. Wow. And so, you, you know. Good muscle. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, my, my life evolved in a lot of different ways during that particular point in time because I think it gave me a chance to... Um, well, no, bad choice of words. Didn't give me a chance. I was forced into trying to become uh, head of a house. Um, after I came home from school, 18 years old, work, play ball, read every book I could so I could, wouldn't fall behind there. And uh, over those two years, I learned a lot of lessons about a lot of different things. And yeah. by the time I got to college, I, I used to tell my I didn't go back there. I went to AIC and yeah. had a lot of success up there with the teams we had. But um, I, I think the biggest thing was the fact when I went to college, I wasn't a kid. <laughs> like no. a lot of my guys, that was somewhat of an advantage to me, certainly. Gotcha. And, uh, you know, tough times uh, push the people to make decisions. And I made a decision that didn't know what I wanted to do, but whatever it was, I was going to be pretty good at it. Try to win every single day I could. I didn't say that then. Yeah. yeah. Get through days were good, but, and, and, and kind of develop maybe the uh, personality that I have now to some degree in the sense of, of accomplishing things and getting through things and, you know, trying to understand, I know what the uh, bottom line is, but try to win every single day, and then the bottom line will turn out real well. And I, I, I remember the, the days that I used to go play, what they call at that time, semi-pro basketball. They had Lawrence, Lowell, Plymouth, Norwich, Connecticut. They had tournaments with guys and played a ton of games against a ton of really, really good players. Now, you mentioned it too, and you're looking back on that time, and you're a Hall of Fame coach now, but during that two-year period, were there times when you were kind of wondering, what am I going to do in my life? Where would I go from here? You know, without knowing what happened down the road. Yeah, I, but I, but I, I, you know, I, the one thing my dad taught me, he lost his dad at 15. Okay. And then my dad ended up being graduated from the Merch Marine Academy uh, in, in, in New York. And uh, he had to kind of be a leader in his family, big lodge family back in Boston. And he said that when responsibility is bestowed on you, given to you, or thrust on you, any of the above, you have choices, and the choice is either take it and run with it yeah. and do the things you're with it. I still remember that. He'd tell me stories about things he had to do after he lost his dad. 
He told me he liked, liked to be in 65-foot waves in, in the ships that probably looked like in the 1930s and 40s wow. going across. He talked to me wow. about the Cape of Good Hope and talked to me about racism on board ship. Talked to me about a lot of different things. Wow. So I was... You, you were know, young back then, too. I, I was very, very young when he told me those stories. But I, it, but I, I wanted to make him proud of me. And so, therefore, got back to what it, it was thrust on me and I was going to be helped by family. And for the, those two years, I really did. And... and, and, and in, in retrospect, he was right. And by doing good things, you know, good things happen to you. And then we talk, you move on to AIC. Just talk about your career there. And how, after AIC, was coaching your first option? Did you know about it? And, or did you want to go into something else? Well, friend, Bill Russell, <laughs> tapping me on the shoulder and kept Havlicek. John was still saw the joke I used a little bit because I, <laughs> I was fortunate enough to get an SP this year. I looked up at Russell and said, remember, you cut me. And really? uh, yeah, so I, I you know, I, I, I played in the, the fall with them and then went back to school to finish up my degree, started working on my master's degree. Wow. And uh, you went back to AIC. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and, but we had mutual agreement with Springfield College. I took courses at both schools. You could at that time. Okay. They, they're literally next to each other. Yeah. And, but, anyways, bottom line is I got, I, you know, started working on my master's degree and, and, and coaching the freshman team and working at nights. Did all different things, got married to my wife for 53 years. And, and I, I think. Wow. I've always been a guy that probably has a lot of balls in the air. <laughs> and, 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 but I, I wouldn't know any other way to do it. I, I mean that honestly. I, I think that uh, you know, life's exciting and, and hectic as it may be. I, 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 I need things to, to pursue. Because yeah. uh, I got so used to trying to <laughs> rob Peter to pay Paul yeah. and all the different things you do in life. From early on. And then age. as a coach, I, you know, I, and, and the first time at ARC, I put that whistle on. I had no, I no desire. I didn't want to coach guys like me, stubborn and really? temperamental. No, I, I didn't think about coaching really. Fred really? Hurricane, my high school coach, was at my house three hours after my dad died. He was a hero to me. A great, great coach at Brantshire High School. Uh, my college coach was a good guy. But I get the opportunity, I put that whistle on, and I saw other guys, much like me in many different ways, different colors, shapes, sizes, age. But they all need someone to help them, because I got helped by my community, my coaches, back in Braintree, and a lot of other people. Yeah. And I just think that I wanted to uh, hopefully do a little bit of that for the guys I got, and here I am 50 years later doing it. Not many people know this, I don't think at least, that you've never been assistant coach forever. You went right to O-Lime mm -hmm. from there. Talk yeah. about how those early days, O-Lime and Westport, Mass, and mm -hmm. what made you, I guess, leave Connecticut and go to Massachusetts uh, for the high school sports scene as a coach. Yeah, well, it, well when I finished up those two years there, coaching the freshman team, helping out guys, and it's a funny thing, a sister of mine, Howie Dickman, who was a very, very good player, Central Connecticut, I scouted him. Okay. When he was a sophomore at Central, we were going to play them at AIC when I was a senior. Yeah. And I went down and scouted him to give you an idea how wow. it goes back. Anyways. And his father coached at NFA. Was a great coach. For many, many years. And uh, died, unfortunately, young of a heart attack. But, but I, 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 I think that, that, as I said, I evolved in it to go back and finish my degree, and then I got my lifetime work. And that's kind of funny because I fell in love with it. In, that's the thing. I didn't dream about it, but fell in love with it. The moment I knew I could take the same competitive nature I have, put it in, help it put it into a team or an individual, and I wanted to do that. So, so then when I left, I got a good opportunity to line. They hadn't won. They lost 29 straight games. I like the big <laughs> challenges. And the first year, I think we won eight or nine games. And then I got a calling to go to Westport because my brother-in-law was superintendent of schools. Gotcha. Yeah, so that's why yes. I moved up there. And I knew eventually, if I could, I wanted to get back to the Boston area. That's where I'm from. That's where my family's from. And uh, gotcha. 
And I took Denham High School, and we had some, my last year, I think we were 28 and 1. We did pretty good there. And uh, crazily enough, everybody was turning down to this Northeastern University uh, because it, it was Division Two going to Division One. And I wow. still remember the names of the coaches. Joe Bryan turned it down. I think Jerry Friel turned it down. Whole, a bunch of coaches in the area because it was, I'm sure, could they be a Division One team and they'd already gone. So I took over in the first year. We were 19 and 8, I think it was. And it worked out pretty good. It's amazing, too. They, they took a little bit of risk. Denham High School, you're a state champion. You were said yeah. you're 28-1, yeah. but still, to win the gym, it's a big jump to D1 in Northeastern. It was, but but Northeastern was just going through the time, too. You know, we gotcha. played half our schedule the first year. We had a we had two-year probationary period by that. I mean, we couldn't play in a tournament or anything of that nature. But I'll tell you what, it was a great experience. I was very fortunate the people there hired me. And Joe Zabilski, who was a famous coach, player at Boston College, He's in the Hall of Fame. Yes. And then played for Frank Lee and yeah. uh, that kind of guy. Yeah. He's assistant AD. He lived in Westwood. I was living in Dedham. Oh, he okay. saw my Dedham team play and said, gotcha. there's this fiery guy over there. Really? Give him a look at And I, a good friend of mine was a graduate who played quarterback there. Next thing, some guys turned it down. And someone asked me, did I mind being fifth choice? I don't care if I'm 26th choice. <laughs> it's an opportunity. You got the job. And it's not, it's, it's not where you are. It's what you do with what you get. And they had me in and... Gave him the job, and I took over that year, September 25th. We started practice. Uh, um, 1972? Yeah. 72, 73. Yep. We started practice 17 days later. Wow. So recruiting was rough. That was tough the first year. Exactly. <laughs> uh, just talk about those years. Obviously, you know, Rick Pitino was across the river, BU, and not across the river, but down the road. Yep. And just what was that rivalry like? Reggie Lewis, just bring us to that era for, in well, your you life. Know, it was magical in many ways, you know. The hockey's the number one college sports team in, in Boston. And yet basketball, Harvard kind of get it going. They were ranked in the top really? ten in the country one year. James Brown, he played for oh, Harvard. Oh, the uh, CBS yeah. host. He wow. looked different then. But uh, no, he's a great guy. <laughs> became a good friend. We beat him one year. Uh, obviously, BC had some good teams. Uh, Bobby Zafalato was coaching there. And yeah. Frank Powers, late Frank Powers, great guy. And a guy who became a mentor to me and, and sort of different sort of way, Bob Cousy. Okay. Who's the same coach there? Yeah, was a the guy that actually was my my host of going to the Hall of Fame. Wow! So yeah, exactly. And and and, and then you know Harvard was Harvard, and uh, we kind of started making our niche that first year, winning nineteen, and it it was such a it gave me an opportunity without knowing it to kind of put things together because I had two years before we really quote had to do things, and then we only had five scholarships. People were getting eighteen maximum at the time. Yeah. Slowly but surely, we took the. Uh, we call them the uh, the T team because everybody took a T and from Somerville. Or really? Hill. Oh yeah. Your players? We almost all local. I started to get a few kids from Pittsburgh and a few other places. I ended up having about eight Pittsburgh players play for me. Wow. Anyways, and the first guy I got was a kid named John Clark, drafted by the Celtics. Later became a uh, uh, professor at Carnegie Mellon with a PhD. I mean, I, I really had sensational kids. Yeah. But those early years, you know, there was no diagram to take a school from Boston, a co-op school. And become a real good team. And as as times we work out, has been great robberies, as you said, in the city with with Rick, Patino, and other people. Did you know Rick would turn into a coach like you as well? Back, I know you passed him jogging on the Charles River. We didn't speak to each other at that time. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, rivalry was, was. So you even had a rivalry back with then with him. Oh, yeah, a fierce rivalry. Really? Yeah, yeah really fierce. And, and you know, then Frank Clarkson came and at Harvard. I mean, the the, the Harvard co- the four coaches in Boston. We were the only thing, you know, quite frankly, up the street, Holy Cross, and down the 
down south in the province. But yeah. the New England network, all of us wanted to be good. And the margin, you know, someone asked me, what was I fighting for? Well, Red Sox, Patriots, Bruins all have everything going for them. We were fighting for 11th place in a 10-town yeah. team because yeah. of the pros. Yeah. So for one of us to do well was very, very competitive. And yeah. I think that it taught me a lot of lessons. It really did because you met some really smart people. You met some guys who could really coach. And you, you, you saw basketball evolve in Boston with some really good players. And then eventually I get a kid named Reggie Lewis, God rest his soul, yep. who was one of the great kids. The guy, I was with a guy yesterday named Kimber Walker. We were doing something for a, <laughs> I'm not dropping things, but a Ben Affleck movie. Well, coming good. Up. And anyways, and I realized that how much in common. We were actually at the, the Tobin Center in, 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 in right near Northeastern on Tremont Ave in Boston. Okay. Yeah, and doing this, this shoot. And it, anyways. Do we know the name of the movie? Uh, I, think, I, I think it's on the way back. It's about a coach who Ben Affleck has told me he copied after me. I said, don't do that. You're hurting yourself and that movie won't ever sell. <laughs> but, but it's going to be... It's going to be after you. Really? It, well, he styled himself coach-wise initially. Yeah. He's a coach who gets, has problems and comes back. And, gotcha. Anyways. But bottom line is, is, is that uh, when I sat down with Kimber, and I love Kimber. I've known him for 12, 14, 14 years now. Yeah. And yet, he and Reggie have a lot in common. They really? got that beautiful smile. They love the gym. The gym is their cathedral. It's an amazing. I was thinking about so flashbacks. Like, yeah, I was really lucky to have great some great good kids. I mean, from uh, Mecca. I mean, all the great kids. Reggie. I mean, I, I go through the list, yeah. and I, you know, there's too many guys I wouldn't talk about because there's so many. You're right. I mean, but I, uh, you know, I, I, but when you get a chance, and we spent three hours yesterday on camera talking about relationship with coaches and and players, you you start to understand just how fortunate you are to have tremendous people play for you and. And what, and then you tell each other kind of what we saw in each other, what they, what you brought out in each other. It's a, and so therefore I'm. Uh, it's not necessarily even melancholy. It's more like introspective in the sense of, you know, I always knew that someone asked me how I got into the Hall of Fame. I said I have real good players. That's the starting point. <laughs> no one's in the Hall of Fame and didn't have good players. You're right. Yeah. And uh, the key is if you get players who will listen to you, yeah, and understand and truly, if you understand who they are, and they can understand what you are. Coach play relationship's going to be cool. That's but if somewhere along the line you don't understand where they're coming from, let me give you a quick Reggie Lewis story. So Reggie Lewis was one of those beautiful people I've ever met in my life. I mean, I loved him. And just a sweet kid. Great. And never started out of a high school game, talented, Dunbar High School. Really? The whole thing. Oh, yeah. And uh, well, he played Muggsy Bogues, and he played with wow. free throws on the same team, high school. How did you get into Northeastern? Uh, I, I was very good in Baltimore. I got about eight, nine Baltimore kids. I was so, good in certain areas I'd go into. Gotcha. Anyways, and since Reggie Nagy started the game, we had a chance to recruit him. So, I missed a practice maybe two, three, four days in the first time he came to us. And I knew I had a gifted kid, thin, but God, was he talented. So he says, in this great voice, he says, Coach. I said, what's your Can you do me a favor? Yeah, what is it? Can you not yell at me in front of the fellas? Really? That's exactly how he said it. Never forgot that. Oh. And actually, I remember that he didn't give me much to yell at ever. He had three <laughs> incredible years with me. Well, my point being, uh, one of the great scorers of all time would have been in the Hall of Fame himself, by the way, if he hadn't passed with a hot problem. But, but give you an instant thing that you have to know who your players are because, you know, a friend of mine named Chris Dodd, senator from the yep. state of Connecticut, once told me, do you know what people's favorite two words are? No. Their first and last name. By that, I mean where they're coming from, 
is more important sometimes than what you're thinking. Yes, you want to get a narrative across. You want to get across what you do. But you've got to know the audience you're at. So yeah. if for Reggie, the worst thing I could do to him was yell at him in front of the guys. You can talk to me about myself and yell at me. <laughs> really? Yeah. Everybody's different. Yeah. And I think maybe the, the, the gift of a player is to understand what the coach really means and how he cares for him. And the, and the, the, the responsibility of a coach is to, to find out that uh, what he would do as far as understanding the, the people that he deals with every single day. Because, you know, once again, if the most important words in everybody's life, in many ways it should be, is their first and last name, then you got to make sure that, the, that, that they, they understand where you're coming from. If you do, if you understand where they're coming from, it usually makes a good marriage. Did you have any UConn players like that who ever asked you not to just talk to them off the practice? And... Well, everybody was different. You know, Ray was Ray in, in his own sort of way was very sensitive. And Ray Allen, yeah, Ray yeah. Allen. By the time we get Ray Allen to uh, become the incredible player that he came with, uh, he and Kobe might have been the two of hardest workers I've ever seen. I recruited Kobe. Right. I didn't, we didn't get Kobe Goddard and Salt. Did, did you recruit him? Man, yeah, I was down there. As a matter of fact, when he played against Rip Hamilton in the state semifinals. Oh, come on. And, and, and the bluster. Yeah. Wow. So, anyways. Um, you know, I, I, Ray worked so hard, he didn't mind being coached. He didn't mind being instructed but not criticized. It's a funny line because he put those hours and hours and hours. He was, for a really, I tell him, for a really bright guy, you were obsessive. Well, mm -hmm. you made him the Hall of Fame, $200 million, so I guess it was a good obsession. <laughs> but I, I'm saying... So every guy I have, and we could spend hours and hours here because I have a story about almost every single player, <laughs> uh, just to, to why, why and what separated them, and uh, hopefully why they and I got a relationship where everybody benefited, school benefits, the teammates benefited, certainly I benefited, yeah. and they benefited, and I think that's that's the key to coaching. And I switching gears, and I'm getting here to St. Joe's. I said, uh, you know, Belshawn Jackson, our leading scorer, he, you know, he's about five foot eight. He's smaller, but at this level, he's, he's kind of my Kimber in some way. And that's the kind yeah. of way I look at it. I don't think, the, I don't have divisions. I have basketball. Chestnut Hill Technologies is a leading technology integration and cybersecurity consulting firm based in the Boston area and owned by a BC alum. CHT provides world-class strategy and consulting to Fortune 500 and mid-cap firms throughout New England and nationally, including State Street Bank, Amaj Pharma, and Intel Corporation. Check them out at chestnuthilltechnologies.com. That's chestnuthilltechnologies.com. And I want, I want to just segue. That's a good question, too. From Northeaster to Yukon, though. May 14, 1986. Do you remember that date? I, I remember the drive, yeah. So how did that go down in terms of how did you – obviously, you had four NCAA tournaments in Northeastern. You were 72 and 19 in Northeastern. Mm -hmm. What do you – was there a part of you – you're from Boston. Was there a part of you, like – thought about maybe I don't want to go to UConn because they wasn't what UConn is now. No, it, Or did your family want to move? To, well, you know, in all honesty, my wife married a coach and a very simply part of a coach's life is to move. Correct. Uh, yeah. I didn't have to really. If you think about that, I spent, you know, five years in, 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 in the general New England area yeah. as a high school coach, two years as an assistant coach as a uh, freshman coach, and then 14 years at, 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 at uh, Northeastern. So, um, yeah, you're, but, but New England, you know, was a home to some degree for us. It's now my home. Been here for 33 years. And very simply, um, I, it wasn't considered. I considered it was a job to do. And then I went to the Final Four that year in Indianapolis. And a friend of mine that I had gone to camps with when I was young brought a team up. Okay, it was Bob Knight. Okay. He became a really good friend of mine. And Bob can be... 
blunt and hostile and great and smart, all those great things yeah. that he can be and has been and so on. But more importantly, he said, Calhoun, I said, yeah, he said, uh, remember, Big East, a league of coaches. Yeah. Big Ten, because I had a chance to take Northwestern job too oh, you did. at the same time. And he said, a league of institutions, the Big Ten. He said, so gotcha. what's there, generally speaking, doesn't change by the coach. Indiana's always going to be good. You look back, he's the semi, right? Yeah. And he said, in that, that league, who are the best coaches were? And you go in there, six of the guys that I, I coached against in the first couple of years are Hall of Famous. Wow. Six out of the nine. Which is like scary. Patino, Thompson, Bayheim, Louis Conseca, Jimmy. You know, I mean, it's amazing. And then guys like PJ Calissa. It was incredible, obviously. And so um, when I went there, I saw something. I played against UConn when I was ASC as a freshman. Oh, you did? Yeah, I played against a guy named Toby Kimball. I had 28. Wow. I still have film of that. I, they gave me a do that. True story. <laughs> 28 actually wasn't. What year was that? Uh, 1967. Wow. Yeah, so anyways, Toby Kimball, who played in the pros for UConn, a great rebounder, and a really great guy, I became friendly with him later. So you knew of UConn? I knew, I knew that in New England, there were places like Maine where they get people into the old barn up there. There were places... But there's nothing like UConn basketball-wise. Gotcha. Okay, I mean, you think of all the great players. The field house. Yeah. They cared. 3,000 people in that old field house, and they loved their Huskies. Yeah. So the Yankee Conference, and now the Biggies. And, you know, they had five state losing season, and uh, I thought that maybe, just maybe, we could take this great state of basketball and people and passion for basketball and, and turn it. And that night, next morning, I woke up. I said, no, nah, maybe, I don't know. And yes. I don't really? Yes, yeah. Okay. Yeah, give me yells. Not that I was afraid. I just want to make sure I made the right decision, as you said, for my family. You know, yeah, yeah, coming from, it's probably different. Stores, Connecticut versus you know, Boston. Yep, no question. Um, and then, last couple minutes here. What Talk about those early days at UConn. Jim Beheim said you did the big, you had the best building job ever, from where school you started to where it is now. Just talk about, what was, how did you get recruits into well, UConn? What were the selling points in those early years? You know, Cliff Robinson, yeah, all the way Robinson, to the NIT yeah, championship. Yeah, no question. And, uh, I, I, I think that, it, it's, as I said before, it's how you perceive things. Everybody perceived what they didn't have. So you guys are crazy. I, went, I was at a great school, Northeastern, which is entirely different today. Yeah. But you know, Northeastern was a commuter school on, on, on the uh, subway. You know, and it became this incredible school. And by the way, we went five out of our last six years to the uh, NCAA tournament that was there. Yeah. We built it from two to one in a relatively short period of time. And... If I could do it there, we could do it at UConn. And I sold the vision. And I went to every, uh, first year I spoke 60 times. and Really? You know, every place that you want to. Uh, well, the biggest thing in life isn't your story. The biggest thing in life is from Hamilton, who lives, who dies, and who tells your story. That's Hamilton's <laughs> great theme. Really? And, and very simply, I wanted to tell our story. And I wanted to tell it how we were going to be, what we were going to do. And it kind of played its way slowly but surely out like that. And then I, I, I sold a dream. I sold it, you know, if you want to go to Coach Thompson and Georgetown recruit you. But no, I'd like to play against them. I'd like to beat them. So yeah. I, I tried to guys that maybe sometimes wanted another school, but understood and, uh, how special UConn can be. See, the one thing we do have as a state school, and we have some great schools, I mean, all the schools are great in the Big East, basketball-wise particularly, is the fact that we are a state school. Yep. And when kid comes into Bradley, after a while, and they come into Philly, Boston, just another person. You're right. They come into Bradley, hey, coach. We made sure, it was a little setup sometimes. I'd tell people that would come recruit, say, <laughs> hi, no, I'm serious. Really? We, you got to work. 
was all great stuff. And after a while, <laughs> no, it, it, we, I don't know if anybody's ever worked as hard as our staff did, going back to the guys we had from In the 80s. Yeah, yeah, you know, our captain was uh, three times Steve Peichel's now doing a pretty good job. at Rutgers, an incredible job. So all the guys we had, Glenn Miller was a Division three National Coach of the Year and yeah. great coach at Brown, you know, with me here. My point being is we had a game plan and we, our family went out and pursued it. And we, if we could just get you on here, parents love the fact that we we're out away from the okay. city. Okay, okay. We got a lot of inner city kids at our program. Gotcha. And if you go through all the various things that we did, we just try to take an idea and sell it, sell a dream. And the dream became reality, and slowly but surely, the Gamble you, Pavilion was built. Do you still think Chris Smith is your number one recruit that turned it for you during that period? He, he started the ball rolling, yeah. without question. He was, could have gone to North Carolina State, Syracuse, et cetera. But he chose the Huskies because I convinced him that if you're going to be a big name, why not at home? Why can't mom see every game? That type of thing. Wow. And uh, he came. And then probably the next biggest recruit was a number nine player in the country, Danielle Marshall. Yep. And then it started to get better. Yep. Chris, Danielle, and then... Gamble Pavilion and Ray. And things were starting to go. And we, we, we got good kids, had a great administration. I'm telling you, the one thing I would say to anybody in the state of Connecticut... You had no idea how much you did for our program. Now, did we work to get you there? Yeah. But your love for the Huskies, I'm telling you, I, I, I did ESPN, as I said, for five years. And I've been at Purdue and Michigan and Iowa, and they have great love for their teams. It's no greater than what Connecticut has. And I think that's an incredible advantage. Yeah. When we were doing well, the state was doing well. You know what I'm saying? It was that kind of magic. Yeah, the mid-90s especially. Yeah, and people don't ever even realize. And then remember... One of the things that, that uh, the Big East was kept alive by a couple of programs, us, Syracuse and Louisville, in the early 2000s, people forget that you know we we did go to the Final Four in 04, 09, yeah. 11. And so I'm saying, uh, during those last years of the old Big East, cut together by, by us, Louisville and, and Syracuse. Was there a moment, though, the early days when you went from being, uh, when you were the climber, was there a moment to you when you were like, wow, we made it? I know you won the NIT. Yeah. I'm talking about the mid-90s. Was there yeah, any... Yeah, but I, was I, there... I, never, I never think we make it. I, St. Joe's here, uh, I feel everyone... Or I guess 17, when we, the recruiting become easier? Um, it never becomes easy because, you, because what you do, we, we had a total in 26 years of six McDonald's All-Americans. People said that's a lot. Uh, they're Duke, Carolina, not as much this year, uh, Kentucky... They have nine or ten on this year's team. Yeah. So we seem to get the older force, who, who was real good. Yeah. The Ben Goods, those guys, the uh, Ray Allens. Those are McDonald's All-Americans. One's a Hall of Famer, and the other one's rookie. I'm saying to you, yeah. we seem to thrive on really good players who hadn't quite made the national scene yeah. as much. And uh, we sold them a dream. As the people don't realize that. You, you know, the thing I did a lot of, I'd go to a house by myself. And they'd be looking around for the assistants and said, yeah, but we have our assistant, he's a great guy, whoever it may be, but I'm the guy that's going to put you in and out of games. I'm the guy that believes in you. And that's why the famous trip to the kids... So you're saying you would go to a recruit's house without coaches, just oh, you, yeah. individual. Yeah, that's, why, that's pretty rare. Yeah. You know, South Central to uh, Seattle to, yeah. to uh, Chicago to, to New York City yeah. to places that come in, you know... They said they, they didn't know if I was either a scout or a cop. 
Really? Yeah, yeah tough places, I'm saying here. <laughs> and not, not the family, but I think you know yeah. the point I'm making. But you're right, Donnie Marshall, Seattle, Brian Fair, Arizona. You, you yeah. were all, it became a national program. It did. What, uh, Coach, last minute here, what, 1999, I was at that game. What does that mean to you? That's kind of, we talked about earlier, 95 UCLA, 98 UNC, yep. tough losses, lead eight. 99, first Final Four, you made it. Just what, what was those, that? Take me to after the game, post game. What's going through your mind? Yeah, from well, East uh, from Old Lyme, Connecticut to Tampa, St. Petersburg, 1999. Yeah, but you know, I'm not one of those guys uh, you know, who really thinks that you need 89,000 people to make a great game. But yeah, in the, I thought the NIT was incredibly important because it gave the people who at that time understood the NCAA was more important, but grew up thinking the NIT was as important. So that was gotcha. like a, we can win a national title. Okay. Gotcha. In 99, there were so many close things happened. There's so many Chris and Lakers. I can give you a whole litany. But I said, you know, if you keep knocking on the door, it'll open. And when it does open, we'll be ready for it. And uh, with that team, as good a team as you ever team, it's not the most talented team. 34 and 2 is as good a team as any guy could That's have. not your most talented team? Oh, no, no. You don't think? What was? What 204. Was? 204 had the second and third guy taken the draft. Yeah. Gordon and Ogle 4. Charlie Villain the waiver. These were all first, largest selections, by the way. We had yeah. six first-round draft choices on that team. Yeah. Not all that year, but regardless, I, I, I think that... And that semifinal game against Duke was... was classic. Yeah. You know, in some ways. But, but bottom line is that, you know, I'm a, I'm a philosophical guy in the sense of, in a practical guy. Philosophical in the sense, if you keep doing things well, good things will happen. And I said that a long time ago. And uh, so I'm a constant. When I walk out to practice on any given day, um, it, it, it varies. But the standard never varies. The, ex- the uh, expectation for what I expect of guys who are going to do something, I always tell them every day, I'm going to work on, let's say today, an hour and a half on your craft, on what you really do well. And don't tell me you don't want to do, do it well. You're doing this six days a week. So yeah. you're telling me you're working on something two hours a day you don't care about? Of course you care about it. Yeah. And if you're going to care about it, you're going to be mandated, told, yeah. huh? <laughs> hugged, Yelled yes. at to work at your craft. A, a quick story. Mike Krzyzewski and I were talking last summer about something. Are you close to him? Very close to him. And, yeah. uh, I don't know. The ga- the, was, I never knew the games. No, and... I, I love my club. Yeah. But he was with the national team two years ago and they were practicing out in Vegas. And some of the places that you want to go to a concert tonight, Mike said, can't go. How about rehearsal? So he drives over some of the players on the team, some of the coaches. And they saw Drake, who was one of the big names, obviously. And he said, Coach, I'm telling you, the two hours he put on working on his craft were almost like magical. Wow. And I thought to me how he worked, soaking yeah. wet at the end of it. And he wow. said, if you love something, if you want to do something, why not do it to the best you can? And, I, and, and so I, I, I've used that analogy occasionally with my, my plays here at St. Joe's, that don't tell me you're not going to work. It's because if you're going to play here, you're going to give it your best every single day. And you talk about always, I've heard you speak before, win the day. Just tell my listeners what, what that means and if you could go a little more in depth on that. Yeah, well, very simply, you know, when I was a kid and I lost my dad and came home 18 years old, you know, here I was an all-state football basketball player and I'm working at Stone County. Nothing wrong with people work, but where was my life going? So I, 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 designed, I didn't say it this way, but in retrospect I was. I was trying to do something every day to get ahead. What does yeah. that mean? It means weightlift? job I had to quit lift on, on stone every day, read, run, and play as much basketball and athletics as I can. 
So every day when I finish my wife's expression after she first married me, she says, you don't sleep, you pass out. And, and because I'd make a full day. Now that's a full day. And I try to get something out of every single day. There's no way. I would feel guilty if I sat around on a Saturday afternoon, got up late, had my coffee, watched TV, and went to bed. How can you do that? Me. Have you ever done that in your life? Have you ever? I suppose if I had the flu or something. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, I just don't do that. You've never day. watched NFL Sunday? I watch, I watch a ton of... I love watching football. Yeah, Quite but you're not. Real, you're you're doing other activities. No, but but no. I mean, I'll take a Sunday to pay. When time the Pats are on, I'll yeah. have that thing. When when my players, Steve's here, UConn's coming on that time, I'll have the TV yeah. to see those games. But I'm talking about a full day of, of not doing anything, and it may be that one, two or three single days where I know I'm wiped out and I won't be as good tomorrow. So what do you know what I do to win that day? What's that? <laughs> Read a book. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. That's rare. Or, but if I'm on a bus or waiting, I read, I do things because I just think that the, 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 the mind is like a, any other muscle. You've got to use it. You use it. Yeah. And I use it a lot. Yeah. <laughs> and, 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 and very simply, when the day means that for all of us, that every day is purposeful. Uh, what I missed about coaching most, I just got all the teams, Iowa, Michigan, Michigan State, and I was great. ESPN was terrific ESPN. to me. Yeah. It was great to me in the sense that I'd probably do 30-something games a year. I'd go to Iowa for his class. I mean, they treated me great, paid me well, all the kinds of stuff. I'd have great people uh, I worked with as far as my, the announcers, et cetera. But, and I'd make my scouting report take me three or four hours to do it. Okay? Then I'd go watch shoot rounds and other things, talk to the coaches. But after that, and I was more reporting than actually solving problems. Gotcha. So I like, not my problems, what I liked it though is see something that we could fix. I'll make it better yeah. or improve. And I like getting up at 6 in the morning and win that day. And it could be any number of things. Maybe yesterday I took my sister up to help buy her a car. Not to my car expert, but, you know, I was helping her. She's right down the, you know. Bottom line is yeah. that that was you something. accomplished that. I accomplished something that day. And then went up to, with Kimberly yesterday, afterwards we now had some tea. And I'm saying to you, that's purposeful. And I, and I like purpose in life. And is that the main reason why you came back to coaching St. Joe's, to bring it back here? Is that it, you had that? Yeah, I did. Just bas- basketball certainly drew me back. But I think that when I saw St. Joe's story, 90 years old school, all women um, had done wonderful things. Sisters of Mercy have done incredible things here. And they wanted to use athletics to try to enhance the school when, when, when smaller schools can be buried. Yeah. And... Uh, I kind of took it upon myself to do any, and I met Rona Free, Dr. Free, our president. She's got a game together and then some. Wow. And she had a vision. She got her PhD at uh, Notre Dame. So she knew what athletics could do wow. at an institution. And it's a terrific place. And so I just saw a place of, can I make a difference? And I think all of us in life want to make a difference yeah. in some sort of way. The, the charitable stuff I'm involved with, it's more meaningful to me than almost anything I've ever done by because people had done that in a different sort of way for me when my town rally round, you know, my high school coach said, you're leaving shortly. It took two years because I needed to help my team, my family financially yeah. when I was a young man, had to leave school and then go back to it. And I'm hopefully here to try to help them, whether it be the Calhoun Cardiology Center and the other things that we do. It all has a reason that when they give you a microphone and people will actually listen to you, yeah. you have an obligation to use it good things. And you do in the state of Connecticut. The goals for the list fans out here for this year and mostly sophomores on the roster. What's the, the plan for this, this spring? The best we can do. 
This is a very young team. Uh, we don't shoot the ball particularly well, but we do run. <laughs> and we average 93 points a game because we get them down the court incredibly well. Wow. Fast break. I, you know, when I tried out for the Celtics, Red Auerbach, it's always saw. He used to wear everybody who wears the old canvas cons. <laughs> my son was president. Yeah, covers. 12 yeah. years, yeah. And uh, the black sneakers, yeah. the black ones. Yeah, I've seen the pictures. Red Auerbach had the black ones so you could see the guys on the fast break because of the speed of the game. So <laughs> that's how I was kind of leaned on. <laughs> and I always play fast break basketball. More shots, more kids involved. It's a fun way to play basketball. So I just want these kids to, to maximize themselves. I probably I, I don't have an NBA, any NBA prospect, but some kids that probably could eventually maybe go and continue the journey of playing basketball. Really? Yeah. I mean, you know, there's all kinds of European and other operations. Bottom line, I love the game. I love the kids. I have no idea. Uh, my season probably gets over. Hopefully we'll qualify for a tournament. But, uh, you know, I'm, I'm just happy with what I'm doing and coaching myself and heading out to practice now. And do you, what, that's the last question here. What do you like to do outside of basketball, too? Well, well you know, obviously your I'm family. On the, I'm on but, the, uh, well, family's number one in my life, big family. Uh, I love the theater. Um, I, I'm on the board of the Eugene Neal Theater, which I get to know Lynn Manuel Miranda very well from Hamilton. Okay. Terrific I mean, mastermind. Was, he produced something called, uh, wrote something in the Heights when he was there at Wesleyan University. Wow. I'm at the Bushnell Theater. I see a lot of movies. Last year I read anywhere somewhere between 45 and 50 novels. Wow. Uh, I, I like things that captivate you. And, and so, you know, I just, I, I, I'm telling my, my players, I'm going to get them a copy of uh, Make Your Bed, which is a great small book by the McVeigh, Admiral McVeigh, excuse me, who started the Navy SEALs. Wow. And basically, make your bed means you start every morning, you make your bed. You started by doing a task to do something first in the morning. Kind of gets the win the day theory. Gotcha. But, but my point being is, yeah. I'm fascinated by the world, and, and I think that people around me said, I'm probably more inquisitive. I want to know why things work, why this happens. Because yeah. I want to know about, I, I want to know why a human being can get on stage and rap about American history, and now it's in Hamilton. Oh, who thought of that? <laughs> and, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And, 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 and I want to see yeah. the magic they can produce, just like when we watch Michael play, the magic he can produce, yeah. watching Kimber go by people. And I love watching that, whether it be uh, theater or music. I love music. I play I music going all the time. So I guess I'm eclectic, so I don't... I, I, I like a lot of different things. I love to be entertained, and I love to watch people do wonderful things. Say your average guy in Middletown. You want, when he says Jim Calhoun, the average Connecticut sports fan, what do you want them to think? I hope that during my over 30-year stay at UConn, that at least made a, a particular point that to give everything you have. And I think when people do that, you can't lose. Yeah, I recommend it always be where it wants to be. But if you give your very best, you can walk away as a human being and very satisfied. Yeah. No one put me in the station to eventually become a Hall of Fame coach or the coach. They put me in position to be coach. And then because of time, circumstance, situations, and great young players and the institutions, presidents and ADs, things worked out well for me. Regardless of whether I was called a great coach or not, I was going to coach great. And, and I don't mean great in the sense of wins and losses. I mean, much more importantly, to the best I could do. And if it took 26 hours in a day, that's what my days would look like. <laughs> well, Coach, thank you so much for the time. You've you brought a lot of joy, I think, 
And a lot of people should give you more credit to, for the state of Connecticut and the residents here and the sporting calendar, especially after the Whalers left all that time. And I think you should get a lot of credit for that. So thank you. Thank you, Mike. Really appreciate talking to you. Great. Chestnut Hill Technologies is a leading technology integration and cybersecurity consulting firm based in the Boston area and owned by BC alum. CHT provides world-class strategy and consulting to Fortune 500 and mid-cap firms throughout New England and nationally, including State Street Bank, Amaj Pharma, and Intel Corporation. Check them out at chestnuthilltechnologies.com. That's chestnuthilltechnologies.com. Well, thanks again to Coach Calhoun for joining us on the Lights, Camera, Sports podcast presented by Chestnut Hill Technologies. Really great to catch up with him and learn his philosophy on life and just his whole career. I thought it was very, very interesting. If you'd like to join Chestnut Hill Technologies and advertise on the podcast, just email Mike at LightsCamerasports.com. Once again, that's Mike at LightsCamerasports.com. All right, thank you so much for listening. We'll be back next time. This is Mike Galtieri signing off.